The scripture this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 33. So please stand for the reading of God's word. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child or brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, Because of, uh, many of you are aware of uh, issues in our family that arose unexpectedly, and we'd planned on missing a Sunday early on in December, but because... Um, of the time we spent with our daughter, we missed a Sunday that we hadn't planned on missing. And so um, this message was actually intended for last week. Um, But it fits because it's kind of a post-Christmas thing. This happened after the birth of Jesus. It's interesting that we associate the the coming of the wise men, who probably came much later than this happened with Christmas, but don't often connect the stories of Simeon and Anna, who's also mentioned a little later in this passage, with the Christmas story. And yet, time-wise, it's much closer related than the coming of the wise men. But before I do, and because this was intended to be before Christmas, I've I've told you that... um, Gift buying is um, not one of my favorite things to do. It's not because I mind giving gifts. It's because I don't enjoy the shopping process. Going to a mall at Christmas time, way far down my list of favorite things to do. So um, when... You know, the Internet and online shopping became a thing several years ago. That's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. <clears throat> so I could just go online. Um, I'll tell you a little story. Um, 
my daughters all hunted with me, and, and um, <clears throat> so I decided one year, kind of a dad gift thing, <laughs> to buy them all hunting knives. What every girl wants, I know. And I started researching online in September because, you know, I didn't want this great big Bowie knife thing or wanted something that would fit their hands. And, and I loved that process online of researching. I just kind of my tendency, and I bought them all knives, all, of th- all three alike, and, and they were great. And that was the kind of gift-giving I enjoyed. But going and shopping, No. So I just wanted to share this little story with you. I had to give you the background. It says it was just a few days before Christmas. Because this, this expresses my heart about shopping. Two men who were next-door neighbors decided to go sailing while their wives were out Christmas shopping. While the men were out in their sailboat, a storm arose. The sea became very angry, and the men had great difficulty keeping the boat under control, as they maneuvered their way toward land, they hit a sandbar and the boat grounded. Both men jumped overboard and began to push and shove with all their strength, trying to get the boat into deeper water. With his legs knee-deep in mud and the waves bouncing him against the side of the boat, hair blowing wildly in the wind, one of the men said with a knowing grin, sure beats Christmas shopping, doesn't it? <laughs> that would have been me. So we're, gonna, we're, we're looking at a passage of Scripture today again that takes place really shortly after the Christmas story. Um, Mary and Joseph are being uh, obedient to the law, and they've gone to the temple for a purification ceremony. So that's what's taking place here. Um, how would you feel if you gave someone a really nice gift? I mean, the, the kind that, you know, is costly, you'd... You'd really put a lot of thought into this. I mean, you knew it was something they would love that would be a perfect fit for this individual. It was given from the heart with love. And on Christmas morning or Christmas evening, whenever you do these things, you open your gifts, the person you gave it to completely ignored your gift. I mean, after all the gifts were open, that one still sat under the tree unopened. And it appears there's no interest in opening it. It's just going to stay there. You'd have to say that that individual you gave the gift to never really received it. And that's very much what happened when God gave the gift of his son. For the most part, folks ignored and were totally interested and uninterested in what God was giving There were a few, however, and we've mentioned some of those this morning, who gladly received the gift of Jesus. Of course, the first guys on the scene were the shepherds, and the next group we hear about are the wise men. But the stories of Simeon and Anna are often overlooked in the telling of the Christmas story, and yet they were two who gladly received, understood, and received the gift that God gave at what we call Christmas time. They eagerly awaited, in fact, and joyfully received the gift when it was given. This morning we're going to take some moments to focus on Simeon. And I want to 
make five observations in the light of Simeon's encounter with the Christ child in the temple, realizing that Jesus was God's gift. He was the Messiah. So here's the first thing. Those who look for Jesus will find him. That's the first observation I want to make. When I look at Simeon in verse 25 of our scripture passage this morning, is that whether it's 2,000 years ago in the temple at Jerusalem or today in the Longmont Church of the Nazarene, those who look for Jesus will find him. Again, verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The words waiting for in the NIV are translated looking for in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. And the meaning here is interesting. The word looking means with intent. It carries with it a sense of expectation. It's not the casual scanning that you might do, just, oh, I kind of wonder who's here. It's not that. But it's the kind of looking you would do in a crowd when you're looking for someone in particular. Or if you were in the mall with a child and they kind of got away from you and now you're trying to find them. That's pretty intent looking. Simeon was on a search. He was looking intently and with expectation for the Messiah. Henry David Thoreau said that many an object is not seen though it falls within the range of the visual eye. And how true that is. Many of us have had experiences where we pass by someone and not even really seen them. And yet they've been very close to us. Why was that? Well, it's because we weren't looking for them. We maybe didn't expect even to see them in this context or in this place. And we can probably all relate to that. You know, I've had people come up to me and say, yeah, I saw you the other day, but you didn't seem to notice me or something like that, you know. Well, I wasn't looking for that person. I didn't expect to see them there. And, you know, sometimes it's because our mind was somewhere else. We've done that, you know, my... Hey, that happens sometimes when, I, when I'm driving. It scares me to pieces. It's like, did I stop at that stop sign? It's like... And sometimes we're focused on... We're so focused, you know, it's kind of like this tunnel vision we've got and we just... We don't even notice a lot that's going on around us and so we miss people. Well, Simeon saw Jesus because he was looking for Jesus. See, we, we see what we look for. Folks, if you're looking for God, you'll find him. He's so findable. And he's always findable to the heart that's searching for him, the mind that's searching for him. You know, one of the things we uh, have committed to do, and I challenged the church to do this um, months ago, was to pray for people in your neighborhood. And we've got... Six households that we pray for, right? 
in our immediate neighborhood. And this is the ones, one of the things we pray for. That God will open their eyes to see him. You know, one of the things they say about the world we live in now, that when um, we've got a rise in the number of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. People, when you ask what their religious affiliation is, say none. I'm not a Jew, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Christian, I'm not Catholic or Protestant, I'm none. So they also say that for a lot of these people, God is not even on their radar anywhere. Eternity is not on their radar. They just... And so um, they're not looking for God. And so we pray for our neighbors. Now, I, I really don't know. We haven't been able to engage all of them in conversation. We've got one neighbor who we believe is close to the kingdom. And others, we just kind of don't know where they're, they're at. But one of the things we pray for is God will open their eyes or minds or hearts to see him. Or at least to want to see him. Because he's findable for the searching heart and mind. He wants us to find him. And so contrast then Simeon's intentional seeking for the Messiah and the story of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. I mean, that was a total swing and a miss, wasn't it? Other than the shepherds who came in from the hillsides, who normally wouldn't have been there anyway because... They were these disgusting guys who took care of sheep and, you know, they were kind of on the lowest rung of society. And isn't it interesting that that's who God went to first? But in Bethlehem, nobody seemed to notice. There was no room for him in the end. And, and I think there are four reasons why Jesus was not noticed in Bethlehem. Number one was busyness. Everybody was rushing. Everybody was running around. There was a census to be taken and the feeling that I've got to get there and get this thing done so I can get back home. And then in in the busyness and rush of the moment, there was no room in the inn. And I think sometimes that's a temptation at Christmas time. Oh man, we've got all these things to do. Gifts to buy and decorating and, and not this year, but a lot of years, gatherings to host and all of those kinds. And Christmas cards and, you know, now a lot of people, we did it. You know, you send in your picture in Costco or Shutterfly or one of these and they make a card for you. And we got to get that all together and... Oh, by the way, we got to get a family picture taken first. And, and then, of course, you want to send a little note along to kind of let people know where we're at in our lives. And, whoo. And there's a lot of, there's a hundred other things. And, I mean, I know I, I can be guilty of that. You may have heard this before, and maybe you feel this way. And I I don't even remember where I found this little piece, but it says, we have run across some absolutely irrefutable statistics that show exactly why you are so busy and so tired. And brother, it's no wonder that you are tired. 
There aren't as many people actually working as you may have thought, at least according to the survey that was recently completed. The population of this country is over 200 million. 84 million are over the over 60 years of age, which leaves 116 million to do the work. Well, well that's, we know that's not exactly true, but people under 20 years of age uh, total 75 million, which leaves 41 million to do the work. Then there are 22 million who are employed by the government, which leaves 19 million to do the work. 4 million are in the armed forces, which leaves 15 million to do the work. Then deduct 14,800,000 in the state and city op- officials or offices, and that leaves 200,000 to do the work. There are 188,000 in hospitals and insane asylums, which leaves only 12,000 people to do the work. Now, it may interest you to know that there are 11,998 people in jail, so that leaves just two people to carry the load. That's you and me, brother, and I'm getting tired of doing everything myself. (laughs) But that kind of... Don't we get... We kind of feel like that sometimes, and we get worn out, and we get so busy... And sometimes we're just too busy to see Jesus, even in Christmas. And it's not just necessarily work, is it? We find ourselves busy by a lot of things that in the big picture, in light of eternity, aren't really all that important. I guess you'd say it's a matter of priorities. Another thing that kept them from seeing Jesus was preoccupation. I mean, there were too many other, too many other important things to think about. How long are we going to be here? How are we going to keep the kids busy? I wonder if they're remembering to feed the dog and the cat and water the plants back home. You know what I'm saying? And, and that can happen with us too, can it? We've just got so much stuff going on in our lives and I really don't have to think about the reason for the season because I'm too busy with all this stuff that, man, think about all the things I have to check off on the list. And another reason they didn't see Jesus was inconvenience. Think about the mom and pop hotel in... Bethlehem, mom and pop have all kinds of rooms. It's not an issue of room. It's an issue of inconvenience. It's time to go to bed. They don't have the staff to monitor to the desk all night long, so they just put up the no vacancy sign. And I wonder how many times we've done that to Jesus, just put up the no vacancy sign because it wasn't convenient to make room for him at the moment. And then, the fourth reason they missed Jesus in Bethlehem was because they had no expectations. See, un- unlike Simeon, who expected to see Jesus, Bethlehem expected nothing and they saw nothing. There was a South African gentleman who discovered one of the world's largest diamonds. It was the size of a small lemon. He wanted to get home to the office in London as quickly and as safely as possible. He put it in a steel box and hired four men to hand carry it to London. When it arrived, they unlocked the steel box. Much to their surprise, they found only a lump of coal. 
They were shocked. They didn't know what to do. Three days later, by parcel post in an ordinary box, the diamond arrived in London. You know what the sender was thinking? No one will think to look for a magnificent diamond in an ordinary box. 2,000 years ago, God came wrapped in an ordinary box. And Simeon saw him. He saw him because he expected to see him, even if he came in an ordinary wrapping. Ever noticed how many cars are out there just like yours after you buy a new one? Does it mean they weren't out there before? No. No, it just means that you're more tuned in to seeing that kind of car now that you own one. We become more visually aware, and that's what happened to Simeon. I want to point out two quick things about looking like Simeon did. Number one, we have to look through the eyes of faith, not fact. See, there are two kinds of people. Those who say, I've got to see it to believe it, and those who say, I've got to believe it to see it. Simeon saw through the eyes of faith. And then the other thing about looking like Simeon did was keep looking even though discouraged. See, for 400 years there had been no word from God, no prophecies concerning the Messiah. 400 years of silence. Yet Simeon kept looking for the Messiah. He never quit expecting. He didn't get discouraged. And he was rewarded. Well, sometimes the assurance comes before the answer. There are times when we know something's going to happen before we receive the answer in our lives. Verse 26 of our text today said, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Some of you might be seeking this morning, even though you've not encountered Jesus in a personal way yet, you know your time is near. And I think in the Christmas season, it's the time, maybe one of the richest times, to find the one that you've been looking for. Which brings us to the next point. See, Simeon came to the right place to find him. It says in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. He came with the right heart. He came to the right place. And I think, and I know it's not the only place, but I think if you come to church the right place and you have the right heart, you're going to see God. And he personally received Jesus. Can you imagine how Simeon felt in verse 28 when he took the Christ child in his own arms and blessed God? I cannot imagine. 
I don't know if we'll brag in heaven, but I could just see Simeon saying, hey, guess what I got to do? I mean, he was still a baby. I held God. I held God in my arms. And we all need to know Jesus personally, not through our parents, not because we associate with Christians, not because you have a friend who knows Jesus personally. You can't know God by proxy. You must know Jesus personally. And my prayer is that every one of you here today could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Not my pastors, not my mom and dads, not my husbands, not my wives, not my friends, but I personally know him. And then when you receive Jesus like Simeon, you are ready to die. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but it's true. It doesn't mean that you're going to die soon somehow, but it does mean that you're ready to die whenever that may be for you. Verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant with peace. Why? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm ready to go, he said, because I've seen him. It's a gift worth receiving. I want to share this. um, It's from 60 Minutes, years ago. It's an excerpt from a piece by Harry Reasoner. And he said, 11 years ago, I did a little Christmas piece, and it seemed like a good idea to repeat it. The basis for this tremendous burst of buying things and gift-giving and parties and near hysteria is a quiet event that Christians believe actually happened a long time ago. Yeah, we actually believe that. You can say that in all societies, there has always been a midwinter festival and that many of the trappings of our Christmas are almost violently pagan, but you come back to the central fact of the day and the quietness of Christmas morning, the birth of God on earth. It leaves you only three ways of accepting Christmas. One is cynically, is a time to make money and endorse the making of it. One is graciously, that's the appropriate attitude for non-Christians, who wish their fellow Christians all the joys to which their beliefs entitle them. And the third, of course, is reverently. If this is the anniversary of the appearance of the Lord in the universe in the form of a helpless babe, it is a very important day. It's a startling idea, of course. The whole story that a virgin was selected by God to bear his son as a way of showing his love and concern for man... It's my guess that in spite of all the lip service given to it, it's not an idea that has been popular with theologians. It is somewhat an illogical idea, and theologians like logic almost as much as they like God. It's so revolutionary a thought that it probably could only come from a God that is beyond logic and beyond theology. And I would say amen. It's a, it is a magnificent appeal. Almost nobody has seen God, and almost nobody has any real idea what he is like. And the truth is that among men, the idea of seeing God suddenly and standing in a very bright light is not necessarily a completely comforting or appealing idea. 
But everyone has seen babies, and almost everyone likes them. If God wanted to be loved as well as feared, he moved correctly. For a baby growing up learns about people. And if God wanted to be intimately a part of man, he moved correctly. For the experience of birth and familyhood is the most intimate and precious experience than any of us will ever have. So it comes beyond logic. It is either a falsehood or it is the truest thing in the world. It is the story of the great innocence of God the baby. God in the person of man has such a dramatic shock toward the heart that that if it is not true to Christians, then nothing is true. So, if a person is touched only once a year, the touching is still worth it. And maybe on some given Christmas, some quiet morning that gift will take the touch of God coming into this world as a vulnerable baby. And it took for Simeon. It took for Simeon. I want to share this prayer with you. It's a prayer by John Maxwell. And I just want you to bow your heads and soak this prayer in as, as I share it with you. He, he writes, God, you are a marvelous, wise Father. If we would have been God, we would have come in power. We would have come in splendor. We would have come in greatness and awesomeness. But you are secure. You're God, and you could have done that. But a secure God doesn't have to come in power and might and armies. A secure God can come in the flesh of a newborn baby. God who created the world became helpless. God who put the stars into existence now lays in a manger totally dependent upon a star to bring people to him. There are many reasons why I love you, God, and this is one of them, that you would come into this world so willing and so desirous to be one of us that you would literally become one of us. Not a God aloof on a throne, not a God that decrees, but a God who says, I will walk with them, I will live with them, I will die for them. And while we were yet sinners, we weren't looking for you, we weren't wanting you, and when you came, we were so preoccupied that we didn't even know that you were here, but you came. This morning, you were doing something special. This morning, you've come for people who've been looking for you. And becoming real to them. Maybe this is the hour. You've been a fact in history. Maybe this morning. Maybe this morning. You're becoming a personal God and Savior. And I would say, Father, just like you did to Simeon. His heart was right. He was waiting. He was expecting. He wanted to know you. More than a far-off God, more than a God behind a curtain that separated man from the Holy of Holies, he wanted to know you personally, up close, 
He got to hold you in his hands. So my prayer is today that even though maybe to this hour you've been a fact in history this morning, you would become a personal God and Savior. If there's anyone here this morning, Father, I pray that it is not known you that way. This would be the moment that they would make a decision to invite you into their heart and lives as personal Lord and Savior. And I want to just take a moment. You know, talking to God is not something that is difficult. We use the language that we know the vernacular that we speak in, he hears us. And if today is the day that you want Jesus to become a personal God and Savior, then in the quietness of the next moment, just ask him to do that. That's all it takes. Lord Jesus, we sang earlier, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for you. There was room in Simeon's heart. And I pray that there will always be room in our hearts as well. There's so many things in the world we live in, and sometimes in the craziness and hysteria of this season, that could crowd you out, that could leave no room. Oh, may there always be room in our hearts for you. And if there is anyone this morning who's prayed that prayer to make you their personal God and Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit would confirm that what they did is absolutely true. It's by faith. There aren't aren't hoops to jump through. There aren't good deeds that we have to do. But just to receive you, Lord Jesus, born as a baby, lived as a man, taught, showed us the heart of God, died on a cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and rose again in victory to demonstrate that everything he did and who he said he was was true. And even now intercedes for us. That is who you are. That's who Simeon was expecting. You are the one we can know personally because you came. And we give you thanks. And Jesus, we pray these things in your strong name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord. You are